Last Sunday, we looked at Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. Today, we are looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to 41. This is, this is Peter preaching. After the Holy Spirit has come down, and the 120 disciples are filled with the Spirit, and people gather together asking, what does this mean? Because they can hear the disciples speaking in foreign languages. They can hear them declaring the wonders of God in their languages. They ask themselves, what does this mean? But some among them mock the disciples, saying they have had too much wine. They are speaking these languages because they are drunk. And so Peter stands up and he uses the opportunity to share the gospel. Peter, we know about him. Every time we see him, he gets our attention. Peter is not a perfect Christian. He's a Christian like many of us. He is famous for his failings. He is inconsistent. He is quick to speak. And in many ways, he fails. One of his greatest failings was when he denied Jesus Christ. When he denied knowing him or even having a relationship with him. Jesus was at his lowest moment going through false accusation. That's the moment when you want someone to stand with you. And that's the moment that Peter said, I don't know him. So when we look at Peter, we are not looking at someone who has been successful in his spiritual walk with Christ. We are looking at someone who is very like you and me. He's a man who knows the pain of guilt and the blessing of forgiveness. He knows what it means to be down and what it means to be up. He stands up. This Peter is now the man that the Holy Spirit chooses to use. Despite his failings, the Lord is using his experiences as a tool for his ministry. And we have so many Peter in our 
in our congregation here. We have men and women whose past experiences can only be described as a disaster. Experiences that you wouldn't want to even think about. Experiences that sometimes the enemy uses to pull you back. And when you look at this man here, when you sincerely open your eyes and look at Peter, you should also realize that you can be used by God despite your past failings. You will realize that your past should not be a continuation of your present because the Lord is with you. You should realize that every time you look at your past and you allow it to hold you, you are contradicting God. He stands up, Peter, and he says, let's just go through his message. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Pay attention. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. He's addressing the ones that were mocking him here. They are not drunk. And he makes a joke out of it. It's, it's only nine in the morning. He says, this is what was spoken by Prophet Joel. What you are seeing here is what the prophet prophesied about. This is the same spirit that Joel spoke about. And he takes them back to Joel chapter 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter is pointing them to what Prophet Joel prophesied about, and he wants them to know that the same spirit that Joel is talking about, the same spirit that will be poured out in the last days, the same spirit that will enable men and women to prophesy and see visions and dream dreams is the same spirit that is being poured out today. 
he continues to say, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Peter is telling them that it was God's plan for Jesus to be crucified. But it was your choice to crucify him. He's telling them God gave him, he gave his son to die for your sins. But you made a choice. Instead of accepting his message, you chose to kill him. For those of us who wonder and, and keep arguing on whether God chooses us for salvation or whether we choose to believe, the answer is yes. Because in God's plan, our choices and his choice come together. They converge. And Peter is telling them, he was given to you, and with the help of wicked men, you crucified him. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he refers them to the Psalms, particularly Psalm 110 and Psalm 16. And he says, David said about him. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And Peter is saying, Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on, on earth that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Peter is telling them that this David is not talking about himself. He 
He's talking about the Messiah. And David may not have known, but being a prophet, being a king, a spiritual leader, he was prophesying about the resurrected Messiah. Peter is using the Old Testament because these are the scriptures that they know. And he is pointing them back to those scriptures. And pointing them to Christ. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. We have seen him. Exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father. Listen to this. The promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear comes back. First, he tells them this is the same spirit that was spoken by Joel. Then he tells them this spirit that you see has been poured out by Jesus Christ whom you crucified. The Jesus that died and resurrected is at work. Goes back to the Psalms. He says David not, did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said. The Lord said to my Lord. Sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Both Lord and Messiah, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He is the anointed one of God, and he sits on the throne. And the idea that they denied this Jesus, the idea that they mistreated him, the idea that they crucified the Son of God who was given to them is too much for them to take. The same people, when they saw the Holy Spirit and the disciples speaking in different languages, asked, what does this mean? When they realized that they participated in crucifying the Messiah, now they ask, brothers, they cry in anguish and they're asking, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do to atone for our sins and escape the wrath of God? The Bible says they were cut to their heart. In verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? It's a question that every repentant sinner must ask. It's a question that every believer, when you hear a message from God, you need to ask. Because every time you hear a message from God, 
that message is an invitation for you to come before the Lord. Every time the Lord speaks to us, he is inviting us to come before him. He is inviting us to respond to what he is saying. And therefore, as believers, we must always be asking, what shall we do? And if Jesus is not yet your savior, and you hear the gospel that he loves you and he died on the cross so that you can be saved. You should ask, what shall I do? Peter does not hesitate to respond to this. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And I will tell you this morning, that God is calling and he continues to call. There is a room for you. If you don't yet believe in Jesus, there is a room for you. God has a room for you. It's not too late. He says, Repent. That's what you need to do. You need to change your mind. You need to turn to this same Christ who is now Lord and Messiah. You need to turn to him for the forgiveness of your sins. And this is one of the passages that has brought a lot of confusion because Peter said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance, if you look at Luke chapter 24, let's just look at Luke chapter 24. From verse 45, when Jesus opened the disciples' minds so they could understand the scriptures, he said to them, this is what is written in verse 46, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the, on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. So just because Peter says repent and be baptized, it doesn't mean that the baptism there plays a role in the forgiveness of sins. 
Baptism play, plays another role that we will see. But the first thing that we need to do when we hear the gospel is repent. It is turning to this Christ. And those who already believe in Jesus, you will keep on turning to Christ. Your repentance continues. You will not repent afresh. Your repentance continues. Those who are yet to believe in Jesus, they need to repent. Repentance is the beginning of Christianity. And when you look at Peter's message, going back to the Old Testament and then bringing them to what was, is happening right now, it also tells us that Jesus Christ is the unifying link between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This Peter who has been at the lowest point of his life is now at the highest point of his life because he is no longer ashamed to stand with Christ. He is no longer ashamed to identify with Jesus. I can sum his message in three points. One, the coming of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of prophecy. The work of the Holy Spirit is the work of Jesus Christ. The coming of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of the prophecy. And the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of Jesus Christ. Here is the third one. Salvation is available for all who will believe. He says the promise is for you, for your children, and for those who are afar for all those that God will call. This promise is available for all who believe. It is available for the whosoever believes. When you look at these people who are cut to the heart, you know, elsewhere in the scripture, you will see the same thing happening where people are cut to the heart, but instead of responding positively, they respond negatively. You will see it here in this culture where when people hear the gospel, they hear the word of God, they are cut to the heart, and instead of submitting to that God, they choose to reject and they will be angry at the speaker. It's one way we respond to God's message. We 
turn against the speaker, the messenger. Or we dismiss it as being his opinion. And in this culture, everyone's opinion counts. So it's easier to say, that is your opinion. Because if I can do that, I can distance myself from what you are saying. And I can resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It happens to the unsaved, but it also happens to believers. You are surprised why someone will be hearing the message almost every week and there is no change in their lives. There is no transformation. They have mastered a way of distancing themselves from the message. I'm not saying that those people are here. Have you realized that when people come to Christ, they are so, or they are on fire? They want everyone to know. They want everyone to know that I have been saved. I have experienced his grace. I'm a new creation. I have a place in my father's house. And I want you to go there with me. They want everyone else to know until they master. Until they understand how to distance themselves from that message. And then you, the fire stops burning. And so we have Christians, many of them, that are no longer on fire. Because they are far from the source of fire. They have learned to distance themselves. And so you hear a message. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And he is telling you, you need to change your ways. You can't go on living this way. You cannot go on sinning as a Christian. And then you tell yourself, this is his opinion. You distance yourself. That's why it's important for us to pray that the Lord may make us sensitive to his spirit. Peter tells them, repent. What shall we do? Repent. Repentance is the first step. Every time you hear the gospel, and by the gospel, I don't just mean the message of salvation. Every time you hear the gospel and you feel uncomfortable, you should be grateful to God. You should be grateful to God because that means the Holy Spirit in you is active. When you hear the gospel and you feel sorrowful, 
You should be grateful to God. Because godly sorrow leads to repentance. Everyone that has turned to Christ understands the sorrow, the pain that you experience when you realize that there is a God who is holy, who loves you, and he gave his son to die for you. And he wants you to be saved. Repentance is always accompanied by a sorrowful heart. And so this makes the gospel an invitation for us to come before Jesus Christ. Baptism here is a conscious identification with Jesus. When Peter is telling them and be baptized, the baptism he is talking about is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit here. There is nowhere people are commanded to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about water baptism, which we also call believers' baptism. A conscious identification with Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit becomes the seal of salvation for everyone who believes. What does this tell us? It tells us that the gospel points each one of us to Jesus Christ. Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And everything that is going to happen in the book of Acts will be in the name of Jesus. The healings that will take place will be in the name of Jesus. All the salvations that are going to take place will be in the name of Jesus. From this time on... Everything is happening in the name of Jesus. Why? Because he is seated on the right hand of the Father. Because he is the Lord. So everything is happening in his name. And listen what happens here. With many words... He warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted, which means there are some who rejected, those who accepted his message were baptized. They accepted the message first. Then they submitted to baptism. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You should be surprised here because the 3,000 who accepted the message, they did not see a mighty wind or even hear a sound. 
They did not see tongues of fire on their heads. They did not speak in tongues. But they believed. And they received the Holy Spirit. And they were added into the number. Maybe the question you would ask is, 3,000 were baptized. How was that possible? I was asking myself the same question. And I think the 120 disciples were involved here in baptizing them. But they accepted. And every time God speaks to us, we can either accept or reject what he's saying to us. And I'm telling you, we have many Christians who have mastered a way of rejecting what God is saying to them. And sometimes we do that by dismissing what has been said. We do that by turning to something else that we want to hold on to. But the deeper need is the struggle to submit. So my challenge to you this morning is this. Ask the Lord. To help you submit to him in that very area of your life that you find it so hard to submit.